Michael Pillion, thank you for um, accepting this interview with us, dailystraits.com. So this is uh, 30 Minutes with Daily Straits. And today we're featuring um, Michael Pillion, the founder of the famous Soda Co. It's a healthier alternative to soda drinks that are already taking the big players in the beverage industry. So um, a bit about the company, a famous soda co has eight calories, zero sugar, and no nasty sweeteners. It's a family business that he runs with his mother. And uh, the best thing is they recently got a multi-million dollar contract from Coles and Woolworths in Australia, and they're gonna go um, worldwide soon by distributing in uh, Asia Pacific in the very near future. So hi, Michael, thank you so much for accepting this invitation. How are you today? Good, Jude. Thank you for having me. Really well, thank you. Very busy, but uh, very, very good. Great. Thank you uh, for agreeing to be interviewed. So let's just start um, at the very core, uh, at the very beginning of your brand. So how did your famous Soda Co. get its start? Like, what was the idea that sparked it? Yeah, we thought, my mother and I were, were looking for another project. We were recently, uh, previously, sorry, had a beverage brand in the alcohol space, which was very successful, uh, and that had been acquired. By some, uh, by some an incoming party that wanted to acquire the business in the vineyard. And then we're looking for kind of what's the next big thing in beverage because that's kind of where our specialty lies in beverage and brand. And no sugar, no sugar, no sugar just kept popping up every time we, we did more and more research around the world globally, domestically. But just the no, the no sugar notion was just growing and growing and growing. And we thought that we could put our spin on it um, from a brand perspective, which which we're, we're very successful at, and we thought there was a real gap in the market to launch a sugar-free or natural soda. All right. Uh, just uh, to go back there, what was the alcohol brand that you started? What When was that? Uh, we had an alcohol brand previously called Two Italian Boys. It was a domestic, uh, domestic alcohol brand in Australia. Uh, it was very popular with that sort of 25 to 35 market and kind of pioneered that space in the wine space here. All right. So after that, you decided to do a soda brand, right? Where which was completely no sugar. What year was that? We started in June. Oh, good question. Sorry, January two thousand and seventeen. We established the business and went to market. But probably I would say eight to nine months prior to that, we were doing heavy research and development, traveling the world, sourcing natural ingredients, speaking to different flavor houses around the world. Uh, different people we've worked in Bev before with and, and we're trying to put together a formidable team to kind of take on this sugar-free or natural space. All right, so um, bef- what was when when did you start the alcohol brand then? Ooh, that would have been about nine years prior to that. So that was in market for about seven years uh, and that was sort of in R&D for about a year as well. So we've been, in, probably my mother and I have been collectively working together in the beverage space and building brands, successful brands together. For close to fifteen years. Fifteen years. So, how how did you get into the business? Like, were you bartendering or were you in the restaurant business? How did you get into the business? Yeah. yeah, good question. It was kind of a natural progression. Um, we owned restaurants. Um, very. I come from a very very big food loving family, uh, and we naturally went into restaurants because that was a little, where a lot of our passion um, and, and enthusiasm lied. And just a natural evolution from the restaurant business. We got into the wine business. We had a lot of good contacts back in the country town that we were from. Um, we had a lot of assets in that space. And we thought, my mother happens to be some somewhat of a branding and marketing guru. And we thought, with sort of my sales operation business skill set, we could probably 
we could do something and shake up that, that space. So, yeah, it was a natural progression from being in food and restaurants. All right, got it. So, okay, for the famous Soda Co, right, did you have like a, who, a what, uh, you said your mom and you wanted to start doing something, no sugar, no sugar, no sugar, right? But was there an incident behind that? Like a story, like you could tell us, like maybe you went to the store and you wanted to get something a calorie free and you couldn't find something and you thought there was a gap in the market and you decided to, uh, you know, do your own product? Yeah, we, we kind of, as I said, we did a deep dive into sort of that better for you, no sugar space. And then we thought, okay, well, the, kind of the best way is for me to take three, three leading brands globally, one here and probably two, two in other ports or overseas and sort of see what they were doing and see if we could add value to that space because the most important thing is being first to market can be a very expensive exercise, but there was a couple of brands that had entered in that sugar-free space prior to us. And we thought just from a brand beverage product offering a perspective, we could offer a lot better product um, to consumers and we could add a lot of value to that space. And we thought this is the next space for us. And the better for you space was really, really, really trending, as you know, in retail. Um, and we thought that that was the way that we should enter because of our skill sets and beverage and all our assets. All right, got it. So this is probably a bit um, from idea to um, concept conceptualization where you went to market. So you got the brand and then you went and did your research for eight to nine months. And then after that, um, how does it work for, for, for beverage? Do you sign an NDA with the factory? Like, you know, and then you give them your, your recipe and then they come up with samples. How does it work? Yeah, exactly. So we went through, it's, a, it's quite an arduous, long process, the natural space, because creating something natural, sugar-free, making it shelf-stable, but also commercially viable and attractive from, uh, from an RO, from a retail perspective for consumers, it, it, it's a very, very difficult process. And it was it's still quite evolving, the natural space, in terms of ingredients and availability and everything. So, yeah, conceptually, we, we went to a bunch of different fulfillment houses. We were obviously a startup, so we had to go to a, a smaller fulfillment house. We went through about two to three biochemists that we were referred to before we were really, really happy with the recipe because one of our, cute, our I guess, core call-outs was we wanted to taste like a normal soda and we didn't believe that any other brands in the market were doing so. So we found a small production house. Obviously, NDAs were signed. Uh, we obviously own our recipes, but yeah, we currently just contract manufacture and, and have fulfillment partners at different points of Australia. Okay, so could you like share, like, you know, for skincare, the um, cost to do a new recipe is around $10,000. What is like, yeah. you know, what's the cost for like, if you have a recipe for a soda drink, could you just share, like, if you don't want to give us the, the amount, no yeah. What I, no problem, no, no, no problem. I think if this can be helpful to anybody wanting to do a startup, this is it'd be useful. It depends. Um, we went through, we went through, as I said, three different biochemists who are very expensive and charge out very expensive daily rates. It can, can be anywhere from eight hundred dollars up to two thousand dollars, you know, a week. We came in with a very strict guidelines on the way we want our product to taste, um, and we wanted to deliver, as I said, a product that tastes just like the real thing. Um, but it was a healthy alternative because we were really, really, really passionate about putting healthy alternatives in the world. Um, some of our products that developed cost us up to $30,000 and some 
of our current flavors only cost us up to 14, 15,000. But you know, it's back and forth. As I said, we're, we're very, very, very funny about product and it has to be perfect before we put it to market. So yeah, we, we've spent up to $30,000 on our flavors and getting them right today. Alrighty, and when the flavors are like, you know, once it's set in stone, once you've decided against, uh, like once you're, you're happy with it, what is the MOQ? Like, you know, do they ask for a huge um, like MOQ before you can actually, you know, go to market? Because that is another stumbling block for most, start- like a lot of startups. They can't afford the large, um, yeah, the large, uh, you know, uh, production. Yeah, definitely. And I think you need to understand where you you can sit in the market and be competitive. So that sort of, that eliminates a lot of potential fulfillment houses that you can use. So you kind of need to sell the dream to your fulfillment house to start and say, this is where we can be. This is our pre-experience in beverage. We need to buy the product for X, but you have to back yourself and think that, you know, within an 18 months that you're going to be doing some serious volumes or within the two years you'll be doing some decent volumes because you obviously have those assets previously for beverage and you think you can grow this business quite successfully. It's incredibly competitive market. It's incredibly tough. And with our product, there's only probably three or four fulfillment houses that can really do what we what we need properly at a level. So yes, the MOQs, to answer your question, are quite high, but there is smaller guys that working with startup brands um, that obviously see the opportunity to sugar-free better for your space currently in Australia. But yeah, the MOQs in order to be competitive with those big brands, because we're trying to take on the big brands and give, you know, the mass market a healthier alternative, your MOQs, you know, are quite high, you know, in the vicinity of six to 7,000 12 packs per flavor per skew in order to be effective and, and be commercially viable. All right, that's quite a bit. <laughs> well, when you did that, right? Because I think maybe because um, I wanted to ask you this: Did you have any doubts in your mind that you won't be able to sell those 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 large quantities? Did you have, or because you know you had the experience of having a different brand before, you felt like okay, this is doable. Like you know, how how did you? Yeah, I, I think I, I'm very data driven and I'm a numbers person, so I really looked at the market and the landscape, and I really did a deep dive into my competitors and saw what kind of numbers they were doing, saw their growth over the period in which they've been in the market. And I thought, yes, I was very confident in the fact that we were a better brand. We had a better brand offering, a better product offering. And I, I'm just, I was very confident we could compete with them. Um, and I think it's very important to have confidence and back yourself. So, yeah, doubt's probably not something that I ever... I doubt's not something I probably have into, into this, or it's not something I allow myself to have because I do my research and I really understand my numbers before I get into a business. So that alleviates that doubt and that's just part of the risk management strategy that we put in place. All right, so you went with it and you and you decided to, you know. All right, so what that's yeah. coming to my next question. Are you the type of businessman who does a business plan or are you the type who just dives in and then, you know, think about numbers later? What is your what is your take? Very much a businessman in the sense that we, we prepare marketing and branding strategy, sales strategy. Um, numbers are everything in business. Numbers are your Bible, and numbers are your guidelines, and numbers is what you live by. So doing your strategies, understanding your numbers, your outlay, your cogs, you know, your operational costs and things of that nature is imperative to starting because a lot of a lot of businesses early on those eight months fail because they have cash flow issues or 
they're underfunded, under-resourced. So, yeah, strategy and, and, and planning and, and is incredibly important. Alrighty, got it. So now you have your brand. When you had your brand, right, the, the, the soda, the done, the done deal, what did you do next? Like, how did you get the word out? Like, what kind of marketing did you do? Was it, did you leverage on your old brands or did you like go all out of Facebook marketing? How, how did you do it? Of influencers? Yeah, I think a lot of it, because our brand's very, very fun and, and it's a, quite, a, quite a sexy brand and great to look at, the major thing that we concentrate is on the smaller independents before we got the majors and positioning the brand in the right independents because organic sort of word of mouth is is, is incredibly powerful. Um, and in that better for you space, they're a very active space on social media and so forth. So it was important for us to position our brand in the right key independents and health food stores and things of that nature so that we created a real natural buzz. Uh, we also did some really cool sponsored events. We did a lot of big, uh, quite a push on social, um, social media, in particular Instagram. And I think where we sort of, where we got the most uplift is, is positioning our branding market properly. In-store tastings was imperative to us. Um, and really getting our product in consumers' hands so we created a natural buzz about the product. All right, so that was like um, basically uh, a lot of money went in marketing, right? For you to get that first boost. Well, a lot of money went into product and the presentation of product and in-store marketing. So putting tasting teams in store, you know, uh, on shelf, uh, point of sale, different collateral uh, in, with in-store and yeah, putting resources into people actually tasting the product in stores throughout the country because a product on shelf that's never been tasted is hard to sell, but a product that's been tasted. And they, one of the key cool things about famous is they try it and they go, wow, I can't believe that doesn't have sugar. I can't believe that's natural. So giving people that experience creates a real consumer loyalty. So we put a lot of money and time into in-store marketing versus external. All right. So just now you said that you had to put the product independently. So is that going into mom and pop shops or... Yeah, so that would be your smaller independent grocers um, and your health food stores. Because to create the brand perception and to have the right clients picking up your store, you sort of, they're, they're more driven, but I say the independence before you become a more national commercial brand. Um, so we kind of picked, we went, we picked 300 key outlets on the eastern seaboard of Australia that we wanted to see our product in. And that's where our core focus was for the first six months. And we picked the right distributors to help us do that. And we put our low infrastructure and time to that for the first six months before we started having conversations with bigger supermarkets and, and petrol and convenience stores. So what, what does it take for a small guy to take your stuff in? Do they take it in for free or do they pay you some kind of money for, um, how does it work? For a small guy to get into the major supermarkets? No, so I guess uh, sorry, for, to put your brands in health stores. Like how, do, how, how does the, the contract work? Do they, first they, they come up with the contract, they take it for free? Do they put it in their store for free? No, so basically the, the key way to grow distribution, especially in Australia, is 
you've got to get in and you've got to do it yourself. You've got to be willing to do the work yourself. You've got to be willing to walk in the store, meet the manager, grow the relationship and get them to actually taste your product and show them why they have to arrange that product in the store. So really it's a lot of it's a, it's a lot of meeting and greeting, walking in the stores, growing relationships because they're your best marketing tool. Once you can impress these people and they talk about your product, you know, with a period of weeks, they could push your product into hundreds and hundreds of hands and they become a loyal following of yours. So really it's about hard work, getting into trade, meeting these people, tasting your product with them and, and selling them a dream in a sense. Alrighty, got it. So where did you get this name from, Famous Soda Co? How did you decide on this name? That's a very good question. Lots of arguments. <laughs> <laughs> with, your, with your mother? Lots of, lots of, yeah, lots of battling. Um, but really the underlining reason we chose Famous, because we wanted something that was glitzy and a little bit glamorous, because we felt that natural food space is quite boring, quite recycled cardboard, doesn't have a lot of personality. So we want to do something really bright and fun, and we thought, why don't we become famous as a company for sugar-free or natural? And that's what we talked about, and then we thought, why don't we call it Famous Soda Co? And so we have the gold foiling on our, our labels, and in a retail shelf, it just pops. It's, it's hard to see anything else. So we just we, we, we wanted to be famous for sugar-free or natural products, and then we just kept coming back to the word famous, and we thought, you know what, that's a really cool, cool name, especially in today's day and age where everybody's on socials, trying to be influencers and trying to be famous in a sense. And we thought, well, that's really relative. We want to be a modern, cool, sugar-free product. Why don't we call it famous? And we just, it kept, just, we just, it just kept bubbling and bubbling. And we thought, we, we kind of have to call it famous. It just made complete sense. All right, you got it. All right, so um, now let's go to the serious questions, like from startup to commercialization, which is a really hard thing to do because... Um, you know, how do you get the big boys to say yes to you? So congratulations on getting your product into Coles and Woolies. It's a, it's a really big feat. And um, uh, I wanted to ask you, like, uh, break this down and ask you, since you had a, a different company, an alcohol company, did those products go into Coles and Woolworths or is just the famous one, famous uh, soda co that's been in Coles and Woolworths? Famous only. Famous yeah, only. Famous. Yeah, famous is the only one we've put in the major supermarkets. Okay, so um, could you just tell me the reason behind that? Because you had other beverages, and why didn't you go with that, and you went only with this? I think soda obviously works at a lot lower price point, whereas wine and alcohol has a higher price point. I think in order to be successful, especially in a country like Australia with 25, 26 million people, you need to have mass distribution. Um, and soda, with it, obviously, as I said, with a lower selling point, you'd probably work on a little bit tighter margins. You need to have a bigger distribution base. Um, yeah, and I don't think it's diminishing to the brand to be in the majors. Because we, we want to offer a healthy alternative to all Australians, and we want to get people off drinking those naturally really bad for you soft drinks. Like, I don't have to mention the brands, but we know the brands we're talking about. Okay, so to, uh, we'll talk about um, how did it start? Do you, how does the process start? Do you need to upload your interest? Is it like a job application where you go on the suppliers, uh, Coles or Woolworths, and then you upload your interest um, and then you get an in a call to present your product? What is, how does this work? Like, what's the process behind it? It's a very good, it's a very, very good question. And a lot of them differ. The, the main contributing factor to, to, I guess, to us getting in there 
is because I'm kind of like a dog with a bone. I don't give up until I get the answers that I'm kind of looking for. So eventually you peel away, you just keep peeling away layers until you find out who's the category manager, who you need to speak to, when the range reviews are happening. You speak to colleagues in your industry that give you a few guidelines of who you should speak to. And then eventually you get interviews. Very hard to go in as an independent person with your product and convince them that they should put it on their shelves, even if you have great sales data and other channels and all that. So we eventually we did a lot of interviews ourselves and we realized, okay, they love our product. It's not, we don't we don't really speak their language necessarily, but we know what they want. So we uh, employed a, a third party that sort of handles the PNC supermarket channel that really spoke the language, understands what they wanted in terms of a brand and an offering, in terms of marketing uplift in store, what what their theories were and, and, and what their what their expectations were of a brand from a marketing spending and all that. Because the thing is you only get really one shot at doing it properly. So my my I guess my biggest biggest takeaway for anybody doing this was go and do a few interviews and a few meetings yourself to get a feel for it. And then probably look at a third party agency that specializes in that channel. Most of them work on a commission based structure, so there's no risk. And if they don't get it in, if they don't get it in in terms of national ranging or a skewed ranging in certain stores, it, it's, it's 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 only a win-win if you actually sell the product in the store. So I would highly recommend looking at a third-party agency that specialises in that channel. So you did that, right? Uh, how do you find how do you find them? You just Google them out, or it's like people it's, in the industry tell you. I, I went through a bunch. I, I went and met with uh, with a bunch of different different people because we knew that was going to be the next step. The major the major channels, um, and then funnily enough, the the team that I currently use here, I was exhibiting at the Natural Food Expo, and he came across my stall and was blown away with our product and our offering. He believed that this would potentially become one of the true success stories in the beverage industry in Australia. And he wanted it as part of his portfolio. He was just starting up. He just currently left Coles as a category manager himself. Um, and we went on an 18 month journey before we started getting you know, national opportunities for these guys. And we stuck, we stuck with each other and we just kept knocking down those doors and, and, until we got one and then it sort of just, it was a domino effect for us. We got one. And because we've got cans and bottles of different offerings, one we one you know so one supermarket chain has the cans, one has the bottles. So it was kind of a domino effect, and everybody wanted to be part of the famous journey. So we've been very lucky. Yeah, you've been uh, yeah. So you started with Coles, and then um, was it easier to get Woolies because you were in Coles? I think so. I think so. I think definitely. I think our, our cans currently are in Coles in four packs and in singles, and Woolworths have our bottles. So as I said. We kind of went after Coles with the cans, and then Woolworths currently range our bottles in our impulse fridging. So, yeah, I think it was a little bit of a domino effect. They saw how successful we would be with Coles. The bottles were an attractive opportunity for them. Their impulse fridges, and, and then they took those on nationally. All right. So, could I just ask you when um, you know the newspapers and the other media they said that uh, when they reported that you had a multi-million dollar contract, right? How does that work? They pay you money to produce the drink or um, it's it's a contract that you sign for X amount of years and you will get that money in if you fulfill that contract. So how does the how does it work, the breakdown of the contract? How does it? Oh, the, the, their perception of multi-million dollar deals, you're only successful if your product's successful in store, 
right? So they don't pay for our manufacturing. They buy, obviously, a considerable amount of stock to start to fill the shelves. Um, but really, if you're not successful, they're not multi-million dollar deals. We've been very fortunate where we've started in smaller amount of stores and now we've grown nationally with them. So, yeah, in, in, in essence, yes, they're going to be multi-million dollar deals, but we've helped drive that product in store uh, and we're trending to long fruitful relationships with both of them. So, we're very, yeah, it's good. Interesting. It's so, good. is there a clause in the contract that says if you don't sell, then we're, we part ways or something like that? Is there yeah, a... there's expectations by store that you do certain units per store per week. So, they have guidelines that they'd like you to adhere to and mm. obviously they have marketing... Um, marketing expectations in terms of dollars spent and so forth. Um, all of which seem to be trending very well for us, going very well, and yeah, the products performing uh, in both four-pack cans, single cans and bottles in both. It's, it's uh, considering you know, very, very well, so we're very happy. So far, so good. Yeah, that's good. So what about uh, diversification? Are you looking at um, another line of product soon, or maybe if not, that are you, you said you want to go to Asia Pacific, right? So, what's the first stop? Yes, yeah, so we're, we're qualifying different, distribu- uh, dis- different distributors at the moment. We're talking to a bunch of people uh, in Southeast Asia and sort of go through a qualification process of who's going to be better for us. Um, and on that note, we, we're in the process of launching a sugar free or natural confectionery range, which is uh, very, very exciting. Uh, we're going to be the first people to launch sugar-free or natural confectionery in three different SKUs. Um, and we're looking for right fit distribution partners that are both good in beverage and both good in confectionery. So that's kind of setting up how we're qualifying them at the moment. So uh, confectionery, when will this be out? Like end of this year or mid of this year? Uh, we're looking to launch in June domestically. Uh-huh. Uh, we've done a national distribution deal with a big confectionery distributor here. Um, and we'll be doing rain, we'll be sort of knocking on category managers' doors in, in the coming months with samples and really pushing and exhibiting it at the Natural Food Expo here in Australia um, in oh, the 28th of May. So we'll be doing a big, a lot of sort of roadshows, if you like, um, and sort of presenting the product that way. Okay, so interesting that you're going to Asia Pacific. Why are you not going to the US or the UK or New Zealand? Yeah, so we are. So New Zealand, we've already launched in New Zealand currently. Uh, we're doing a big push in New Zealand as we speak. We've been floating, we've been sort of treading water in New Zealand for three to six months and it's really starting to take off. Uh, we've done a couple, we've done a deal with a big supermarket chain over there, uh, which I'm about to sign on the dollar line on. So it's obviously confidential at the moment. Um, so we'll, we're going to see a big uplift in New Zealand in the next three to six months. Uh, we have an agent in the UAE who's recently done a deal with Bahrain. Mm-hmm. Uh, we a few distributors there, and we have two agents uh, that we're talking to in the US. One in particular, and we're about to sign with him as well and get some working samples over there. And we're looking for a co-packer in the states at the moment. Wow, good. That's good. So um, this is really good, Michael. What do you have? Like you know, people who want to con- you know do something like you. What kind of advice do you have? But they don't have. They start. They're starting from zero. You know, <laughs> like nothing. Yeah. We all start from zero. <laughs> we all start from zero. So what was what what would be your advice? I think you need to have a lot of self belief. Would be the first thing I would say. I would say become a student of the category of business you want to enter into. Do a deep dive into that 
industry and understand your competitors, the competitor landscape, their strengths and weaknesses. Understand where you can add value, where you can be special based on your skill set. Um, another key thing would be no great brand or business is built with an individual, it's built with a team. So I would say surround yourself with great people who complement your skill sets and that on the same path and journey as you are and have an ambition to be great. Um, and what would be another piece of advice? Yeah, know your numbers. <laughs> I keep referring back to that. I know it's probably sounding a little bit boring now because I've said it four times, but knowing your numbers is, is, is everything. Understand what you need to outlay, where, where you need to be competitive, you know, understand what it's going to take you to get through the first 18 months and then still be there in five years and be successful is very, very important. All right. And finally, right, um, what are your tips in working, because you're working with this with your mom, right? So your tips on working with family members, like I wanted to ask you, like, where do you draw the line? Like, how do you stop business talk at home, you know? And or does it go on all the time for you? It's like, you know, it's embedded in your, your relationship with your mother. How does it work? It's a very good question because it's people, a lot of people I think they're doing a family business is because you can trust them and it's easy and everything. But I'm very, very close to my mother. So our relationship is incredibly important to me. And we've worked with each other for quite a period of time. I'm very fortunate that we both have different skill sets that we offer my business. She's brand marketing and kind of product, and I'm business operations and sales. So we, we sort of, we, we've, we've learned to stay in our own lane and just come together on the really, really important decisions, um, which protects our relationship, which is more important than the business. My relationship is number one with her. So we come together just when, on the really important decisions. We have a lot of trust for each other because we've been successful in business together before. And that trust is not, I would call a blind trust. It's a true trust because we've been successful in business together. So we understand each other. We respect each other's skill sets. And we make sure that on a family function or an outing, or we're at our house for Sunday lunch, which is something we, we regularly do, business is not allowed to be talked on the table because we try to preserve the nature of our relationship because it's very important. If you talk about business all the time and it, it consumes you, it, it's not healthy. Mm. So, yeah, that's just a key principle of ours. All right, that's it. Thank you so much for being with us today, Michael, and um, wish you all the best. I can't wait to see your product in Asia. So, um, um, yeah, and thanks for accepting the interview. Uh, thank you. It's been awesome. Thanks, thanks for listening to me. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you.